Pull yourself up a chair and join us at the Energy Roundtable. Welcome to Energy Roundtable. This is week three of this new endeavor where my Energy Radio podcast co-host, Lisa Barber, and I talk about the news and notes uh, from the week in energy. Lisa, welcome. Good afternoon, Matt, and good afternoon, listeners. How are you today? I'm doing good, and how are you? I'm good. Busy day, but I'm good. Good, and you uh, you survived St. Patrick's Day yesterday? I did. I only had one beer when I got home. Uh, okay. It was not green in color, but the bottle itself is green, so I, I assume that counts. Good for you. Well, you had uh, you had one more than I did, so good for <laughs> you. Well, let's dive in, and on that note, uh, I'll start uh, my first uh, news from the week, and uh, credit to smartenergydecisions.com, where both of my articles come from this week. They send me a nice email every morning, and I read uh, many of the articles. This one is titled, Budweiser Goes Green for St. Patrick's Day. So they um, often people drink green beer, which is green in color. This year, uh, Budweiser has made a commitment, and they have this very nice graphic of, uh, I guess it's an advertising piece, and maybe, Mark, we can show it uh, here on the screen. But... uh, They've made the commitment to have all of their uh, beer that they produce uh, on March 17th, um, that they will produce or purchase enough uh, renewable energy certificates to cover the estimated electricity uh, to brew the beer, every beer in the U.S. Um, And so, and it's, the, the second piece is, it's kind of a call to arms for every other uh, brewer to uh, kind of step up their game um, in terms of um, renewable energy as it goes into beer. So uh, the slogan is all beers are green uh, and then dot, 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 this St. Patrick's Day. And then they talk about how they've made this pledge for renewable energy credits uh, for uh, brewing all, all the beer. And, they're, and they want to move towards, you know, expanding that beyond one day. Uh, but that's what they're looking at. So uh, initial reactions, Lisa? Yeah, I think that's cool. Uh, I love the idea. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a great idea. I'm I'm thumbs I'm thumbs up on this because it's another step in the right direction. But I will say, and I remember one or two Super Bowls ago, there was a famous Budweiser commercial with these the, the famous Clydesdale horses uh, going through this this wind park. I don't know if you remember it. So there's these mm-hmm. towering, beautiful wind turbines and these Clydesdale horses, and it was already their initial pledge to move towards renewable energy. And I remember watching the game with my father, as we often do, and he's in wind, and he was all excited about it. And I was stepping back saying, well, hold on, there's a lot of energy going into brewing that's not electricity, it's gas. Um, And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think sometimes the story can be misleading to the general beer drinking public of, hey, we're we're green, but it's only half or a fraction of the story, right? Mm -hmm. um, what's, what's, What's cool for me is there are so many options now for greening the gas side of it too with you know renewable natural gas and with you know even especially in brewing brewing we talked about you know organic waste last time you know closing the loop and getting the brewing waste to make renewable natural gas that they can then offset the fossil gas that they're buying so uh cool story leveraging uh good marketing love it um and uh, and hopefully we see more of it so cool story Cool. Uh, well, my article is from the old school paper that I get every morning. This happens to be a Toronto Star article um, from this morning. So Thursday, March the 18th, 
uh, and it's titled Renaissance of Nuclear Power Faces Uphill Battle. It's an opinion section. It's rather long, so I've actually had to make some notes just to make sure I'm covering everything in the article. It's from Dave, uh, David Olive, for those of you that either uh, get the Toronto Star or are interested in looking it up afterwards. Uh, so basically, um, the article suggests that some are advocating that clean energy uh, nuclear is essential to fighting clim the climate crisis. And then it goes on to discuss some of the history of nuclear facilities, including the 54 facilities in Japan that were shut down after the, uh, I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, is it Fukushima? How do you say <laughs> That's it? correct, a Fukushima. Okay. Incident. Um, that resulted from, of course, the large earthquake and the tsunami. Um, it further discusses the differences between several countries who are either shutting down nuclear or thinking of installing more. So just a, as a quick review for everybody, the U.S. has several uh, plants uh, that are planned to shut down, whereas France loves nuclear. Uh, they're getting about 70% of its electricity from nuclear currently. Canada currently gets about 60%. Uh, of its electricity through, nu through nuclear, and Ottawa and four provinces have collaborated to develop uh, or deploy rather uh, several SMRs, uh, SMRs being a small nuclear reactors uh, that will generate basically no more than about 300 megawatts that could be installed in remote communities, for example. Um, and we expect that being Canada expects to have our first SMRs in service by the late 2020s, which kind of coincides actually with. Um, I think it was Robin Manley uh, from OPG who we had on uh, Energy Radio uh, just last week and that will air in about a month's time uh, where he talks about uh, the first MSR uh, uh, SMR that's coming up in I think 2028. Uh, and then the, the article further discusses that uh, New Brunswick and Alberta, uh, they've uh, either deferred or cancelled reactor projects in those provinces. Um, and then they talk about some of the alternatives that, you know, such as solar and wind and how they're dominating the scene right now. Um, and that is to believed, or it is believed to be because the nuclear industry isn't at the forefront of telling its story. So that was kind of interesting uh, because it, it is true. I mean, you've heard a lot about SMRs, but you haven't necessarily heard uh, just a lot about nuclear in general. So the the author in this particular case, his um, his opinion is that the most sensible route is to use clean energy alternatives first to replace fossil fuels and then supplement it with clean nuclear energy second. Uh, so would like to see uh, here two reactions. One is from you, Matt, in terms of thumbs up or thumbs down. The second one is actually from our listeners. And uh, when we post this, if you guys can comment on a couple of things, first of all, if you give the article a thumbs up or thumbs down. And secondly, uh, what is your what is your opinion on, you know, where, uh, what technologies we should be using to transition to a net zero uh, climate? Uh, so, Matt, what do you give it? A thumbs up, thumbs down? Am I giving a thumbs up or a thumbs down to the article, which I haven't read yet, although you've summarized nicely, or to nuclear? Uh, well, you know what? Either. Okay. We'll, well, make it, we'll make it either because I'd love to hear just in general from our listeners as well. You know what what they think do they think nuclear is at the forefront do they you know do they think there's other technologies or uh yeah do they the article as a whole do they uh do they like the article where or what and the opinion of the uh, of the author in this well, case first of all thumbs up, thumbs up to you for actually reading a physical paper i have i have a, i have a copy of the uh, national post that i get every day um and uh unless for some reason the pro justin trudeau global mail shows up at my door then i you know put that in the recycling bin but anyways i you know so kudos to you on that 
Uh, the article, I, I don't want to comment on it without reading it in full, but I kudos to anybody who will take uh, a stance one way or the other in a in a public forum like that. Uh, it's good for people to put their neck out. Uh, on nuclear, uh, I, I want to say I'm thumbs down on nuclear, a slight thumbs down. And, you know, I, I get the, uh, I, I think it's fascinating. I think it's cool being a thermal power uh, person. I think it's, uh, you know, great technology, but it's one of those things. And, and you, the piece about telling the story is real because there are horror stories in the history of uh, nuclear in, um, in, in our you know, society. And to me, you know, I know it's probably out of my own ignorance. I'll say that full disclosure. Uh, but the, the risk profile around, you know, the what ifs and how bad they can be, you know, I'm no expert in risk assessment, nor am I an expert in uh, in nuclear uh, storage and material handling. Uh, listen to the upcoming episode 46 of the Energy Radio podcast to hear a bit more about that. But I'm still, you know, if I'm thinking about, you know, future generations, I don't know, it just to me, the radioactiveness, um, you know, it's I, I don't see that with other renewable forms at the same on the fl flip side, there's no carbon emissions and man, they make a lot of energy. So, yeah, I'm a slight thumbs down because of the big impact of the risk. You? Interesting. And, well, the one thing that I keep thinking about is, you know, when I was, uh, I visited my mother this last weekend in Coburg and, uh, you know, you drive by the Pickering nuclear station and you look at the footprint and then you look at the footprint that wind and solar can take up. And so then you start thinking about, well, okay, it requires a lot more land, uh, wind or solar, for example. Uh, you know, does that come into the equation? I don't know that I have a specific opinion on nuclear itself um, because I think that it's going to take a whole bunch of different technologies to kind of get to this, you know, 2050 climate neutral thing that, you know, a lot of people are that we are kind of trying to head towards. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe maybe I don't know enough about nuclear either. I mean, we've we've heard had some really great people on our podcast who have explained it, but the safety aspect of it to me, I, I guess I'm not close enough to know enough about it. You hear about, you know, the, the issues in Japan and then again, how they kind of uh, got rid of 54 plants. Uh, is it, or was that overreacting or, you know, was it something else? Who knows? Well, and, and it does, you know, it does beg the question, if we're taking nuclear out of the mix, what are we replacing it? Because it is so massive. You know, I think if you look at some of the other countries that have done that, Germany's moving towards it. There, there, there's no way to replace it with with fully renewables, right? So it is gonna, it's yeah. gonna introduce a fossil back into the mix. And I mean, maybe I'm worried about a risk that's a hundred years into the future. And if we don't figure out climate change, there won't be a hundred years, into the future, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, it's it's a very dynamic and challenging uh, question to answer. So, uh, let's move to something that's a little bit closer to something we know about, and that's air travel. Uh, as you know, I'm a, I'm an Air Canada guy um and i I'm, I'm in hook line and sinker on uh you know the whole uh, priority status and all that stuff that makes me feel good but really isn't worth a worth a nickel but air canada came out uh and they uh, have said they want to target net zero emissions in flights and ground operations by 2050 so they have uh by my math that's 29 years to get to uh 2050 and this is a a, a big i think a big commitment <laughs> in that uh, if you look at, you know, what often gets a lot of criticism, and 
um, why does Greta Thunberg take a boat uh, from Europe to North America? It's because of the massive uh, emissions from, you know, air travel and, uh, you know, jet fuel and even, you know, uh, on, on, on ground, you know, use and, and all this stuff. Um, so it's, it's a pretty big commitment. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking based on the reading of the article is they're going to be doing it by, by two means. And one is, and, and I think that we talked about, you know, different uh, baskets of technologies. I think they're, they're going to do it based on running more fuel efficient planes. Um, so there's a couple models from different OEMs that have more fuel efficiency by 20%. And then I have to imagine the rest is going to be by offsets, and and you see that already. You can you can use Aeroplan points as an example to buy carbon offsets. That's just you know the tip of the iceberg, but they're going to have to buy offsets, you know. Mm-hmm. And then and then there's an innov- innovation piece in terms of you know, or what else can we do uh, from the technology perspective to, yeah. uh, to to get there, right? Do, do they talk about renewable fuels at all, Matt, in the article? The- they do right, right, right at the end. Uh, right at the end. Hydrogen being one of them, or yeah, they um, they talk about a massive investment into what they call sustainable aviation fuels, um, and so they will look at practical applications of renewable energy sources like biogas. So that's always exciting for me, uh, and renewable electricity. And then they do talk about hydrogen. So we'll see. Um, so it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, 29 years is a long time. Uh, yeah. but yeah, I'm thinking more and more about innovation and that's the sector that will need, um, you know, dramatic innovation to get to, uh, that type of carbon neutrality. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I give it a, a thumbs up. Um, you know, certainly the article, the whole kind of concept, the commitment that they've put themselves, uh, you know, they've, they've stretched themselves, I think a little bit, but, uh, I'm eager just to kind of see how it unfolds and, you know, I mean, yes, there's an efficiency piece. Are they going to be relying more so on renewable fuels? Uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of what roadmap they've designed to to get to that. Um, yeah. Cool. You got one more article for us? I do. I have another one. Um, and this one is called Gates Backs Icelandic a Startup That Turns Carbon Dioxide Into Stone. It is an article by Bloomberg. It was posted on March the 5th, 2021. Um, and essentially, it's uh, really about a company called CarbFix. It captures and dissolves CO2 in water and then injects it into the ground where it turns into stone in less than two years. And as the article would suggest, uh, Gates has uh, put some money towards this. Uh, but the technology works really in two ways. Uh, the gas is trapped from smokestacks or factories and power plants before it escapes into the atmosphere. And the second and the more challenging process is carbon re- is removed from the air around us. Uh, CarbFix is doing it both by scaling up on a a geothermal power plant to capture the carbon emissions. They've also partnered with a uh, Swiss startup called uh, Climeworks AG that builds machines to capture CO2 directly from the air. Uh, Apparently they can do this at a cheaper cost than buying carbon credits. Interesting. And uh, they will be taking part in Elon Musk's $100 million prize for the best technology innovation that is taking place over, of course, four years. Um, and so yeah, the, pre- basically, the premise is take the CO2 and turn it into rock. Is that the yeah, fundamental technology? That's exactly okay. it. So the technology uses basically carbonated water that reacts with elements such as calcium, magnesium, iron, and iron. And it forms carbons that fill up empty spaces in the rocks underground. So... What I, I thought this was interesting because, uh, you know, in my day, back in the day, I was uh, part of the um, 
natural gas compression in the emissions control space, and of course fracking was and really kind of continues to be a pretty big deal. And I, I just, I kind of wonder what effect this will have, you know, as you're, as we, you know, in fracking where you're injecting uh, chemicals and water at, you know, pretty high pressures. And there's been some evidence that could suggest that it has caused some earthquakes. I kind of wonder, like you're, you, I mean, the, the concept sounds really interesting, but you're pushing this into the ground and okay, maybe it's not the pressures, but you know, you're kind of fooling with, with nature in a way. So, you know, I, I don't know what the reper repercussions of the technology are. Uh, hey, Bill Gates seems to be pretty excited about it. Um, maybe Elon Musk will, I don't know, but that's the only part of it that kind of gives me a bit of a thumbs down uh, because I don't know really what the long-term uh, ramifications might be. Respectfully, it's a little too late to worry about fooling with nature. <laughs> I, I, I think we're past that uh, via the uh, Industrial Revolution. Um, but I, I hear your point. Um, to me, you know, what, what this sounds like is carbon under the ground. If we can get this at the right pressure, maybe they can take CO2 and make diamonds out of it. Like that that's the real, you know, if they can figure out how to make diamonds out of this, then there's really a business case. But um, to me, you know, I'm, I'm thumbs up, you know, for them trying it because, you know, there's, you know, Babe Ruth was was a, a home run leader one in his day in the major leagues, but he was also a strikeout leader. And mm -hmm. those two are, those two are correlated. And I, I think the same is true. Like the, you can't swing a dead cat, you know, without talking about hydrogen and, you know, you have to swing a, a big, a longer dead cat, but you, you can't do it without hitting somebody talking about carbon capture. And yeah. there's so many technologies out there, but one of them is going to work. And yeah. one of, and, and I think some of them already are, but, but if, and when they work, you know, that, that's the knock on all these technologies is the carbon, but they have a lot of benefits that, you know, wind and solar don't have in terms of their reliability and their resiliency. And if we can figure out that carbon piece, you know, we have just another tool to get us to something that's that's a more resilient energy future. So it's, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and two things I want to add. So one of them is, uh, of course, I won't name the client, but we were, I was speaking with a client today and they are actually investing more so in carbon capture than hydrogen, which was interesting to me, just knowing wow. that the big buzzword of 2020 was, you know, hydrogen in our space. Uh, and then a side note on the diamonds. So De Beers actually makes synthetic diamonds now. <laughs> right. There's another technology too that's making, uh, but re rewind the tape. Would you take, a, would you put a synthetic diamond on your ring? Uh, Fallon would finger? never, never, never let me, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, if it wasn't for Fallon, maybe, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think I've been swayed by her a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have got away with it either, I don't think. Um, let's, uh, let's move to the face-off. Mark, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? We can there hear you. We're all yours. Okay, well, this segment is, of course, called Face Off, where I throw a topic at you guys, I remain neutral, and you both take uh, the opposing side from each other. So today's topic will be the Keystone Pipeline. Obviously, it's a very polarizing issue. Um, and Matt, I'm going to go, hmm, let me see here. Let's say, okay, I'm going to say, Matt, you're really sad about this. You, you love the pipeline. Um, you're really sad that it's uh, being eliminated. And um, uh, Lisa, of course, you are thrilled. You hate the pipeline. So um, tell me why, let's start with Lisa, why do you hate the pipeline? And why are you uh, glad that so, it, to so see, it, so see it gone? So you want me to give you the, uh, the sorry, the cons you said? 
No, you're you're happy the pipeline. I'm the pros. Oh, I'm the pros. Yeah, I'm so, sorry. So you're completely you're okay with the it. Pros. You never liked the pipeline to begin with. All right. So um, let's start off with the climate piece, I guess. So it's easier for Canada to meet its climate change uh, commitments, and perhaps it also provides uh, Mr. Trudeau with some re-election points. Um, it maybe shifts the Canadian fuel discussion more towards RNG or hydrogen to replace oil-fueled markets. Um, we know that Alberta is extremely resilient based on you know, everything that Alberta has had to go through over the years. So you can't help but wonder if this would uh, put maybe a greater emphasis on the hydrogen space in that province specifically, uh, considering that they could be one of North America's largest hydrogen producers. Um, and then maybe two other pieces that are linked to the decision. Uh, Biden did promise that tighter U.S. fracking regulations might help Canada's natural gas and LNG sectors. So maybe. Um, and then the other one, and I don't know if I'm going to be in two minutes or not, but maybe help uh, Canadian clean tech companies like Ballard, uh, since Biden's promising that every city in the U.S. with 100,000 uh, people or more will get zero emissions public transportation options. Uh, how am I doing? Did I do okay for time? Yep, that's great. Awesome. I, uh, yeah, Matt. As I as I start, I have to show <laughs> uh, the camera my favorite pin from all of my friends in Calgary, uh, and those who are just listening to the audio. It says "I heart Canadian oil and gas." Um, so this was a big uh, decision. Uh, you know, I commend leaders for bold decisions, um, and I uh, I am saddened by leaders who don't stand up for their own countries against said decisions. This is a big problem. Um, Oil and gas is a zero-sum game. If this if this oil and gas and this crude isn't coming out of Alberta, it's going to come from somewhere else. It's going to have to come on a ship, um, and it's coming out of the ground, um, you know, not out of Canada. It's it's not canceling this pipeline does not you know drive us immediately to lower consumption. And so what it does is it further disadvantages our friends in Western Canada who are already pipeline constrained and can't get oil and gas uh, out of the ground. And if they can't get that oil and gas out of the ground, they can't fund development and Lisa's hydrogen pet projects that she wants won't get funded because they're not pulling enough oil and gas out of the ground. And so, the re you know, Biden has to do what he wants and, and that's fine. But the sad part for me is that there was no, at least from our vantage point as uh, the public, there was no... Um, you know, pushback or there was no conversation to say, hey, listen, you know, that we're, we're going to fight for Canadian jobs, uh, which further validates the fact that, you know, the folks in Ottawa don't think Canada goes past, you know, Toronto, um, you know, and, and not looking out for the interests in the West. And so it's it's a huge disappointment and everything was ready to go. These projects don't get shovel ready overnight. Uh, all of that is just pardon my French pissing in the wind because now no, nobody's going to uh, build that pipeline. And, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate that these kind of things, you know, ebb and flow based on uh, politics. But, yeah, not uh, not a good decision as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it would have been a, a good step forward. So, um, but, oh, we own our own pipeline that we could build. Well, we're not doing that either. So, anyways, <laughs> um, now you know where I stand on the topic. Okay. Lisa, any sort of rebuttal or do you want to leave it at that? How are you, how are you feeling about uh, this? Well, so, so my actual opinion really is uh, I am actually kind of sad to see the project go. Uh, despite my the fact that I had to take a, you know, the pro stance, um, because I do think that there's going to be a, a mixture of technologies is required for us to get to our climate goals anyways. And just thinking that we can eliminate oil and gas is, uh, I, I, I don't think it's really achievable, uh, especially in the, the short term. 
Uh, and then I'm a little bit sad about the potential precedence that that project cancellation is setting for the cancellation of potentially, you know, projects like Line 5. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I, 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 you know, I kind of, to Matt's point, I commend Biden for stepping up and uh, doing what he said he was going to do, but uh, not overly happy with the, you know, the cancellation of the project itself. The precedent setting piece is interesting because you're right. As soon as it happened, the article started to show up about line five being in jeopardy. And for those who don't yeah. know, line five is um, basically all of the crude that comes into Ontario for jet engine fuel and other stuff all comes through line five, which goes between Michigan and Ontario. And so Keystone XL is is still you know not built and there's no crude flowing through line five is has been around for a long time and uh is flowing a lot of crude and yeah i think you're right lisa that this decision emboldened you know the governor of michigan and and she you know kind of and and she's entitled to that of course as an elected official but uh that's that would be a massive one so yeah anyways um we'll uh we'll see where the government uh, takes leadership on that but um good uh so the well one mark more yeah, one yeah call. Well, I think it's safe to say that Matt takes this round, especially when you back you backtrack <laughs> so, and so, agree with so him. So the but. next one, is it going to be like, a, do I get it again? <laughs> hey, we'll see what happens. You never know. The, the, ser- the series is at 1-1, the face-off series, right? Lisa That's won right. last week? Yeah, yeah. That's, That's correct. correct. Well, I'm going to go on a streak here. There's no way I'm losing again. This was fun. <laughs> well, well, I'm going to have to become, I'm going to have to get really prepared then. It's it's not really about how prepared you are. It's just about how loud you and how hard you bang your your fists on the desk, right? That's that's good debate, you know. So, anyways, thank you both, Mark. Thank you for leading our face-off, Lisa. Thank you for uh, joining the roundtable. Uh, on behalf of both uh, Lisa and Mark, my name is Matt Lunsink, and this has been another episode of Energy Roundtable. Stay safe. Have fun.